Don't worry about it. I don't need it. I don't need it till Thursday. Well, thank you, Aaron. And uh, let's jump into this today. Uh, again, today is going to be. Uh, there's so much in chapter five of John, and I want to break it into sections. And last week in John chapter five, we saw one of the greatest stories and miracles that's found in the Bible. And it's the story that is around the pool of Bethesda and how God used that story to, uh, to show the healing of the nation of Israel, a, a, uh, a showing us also the spiritual condition of Israel through this man here and how this story really kind of flows with the whole rest of the Bible, particularly the book of Hebrews, you know, that we talked about last week. And then I took it up a couple levels. We looked at it from an inspirational application, how it will apply to us uh, in the New Testament. And you remember that in the story, just to refresh your memory, that once a year uh, an angel came down to this pool of Bethesda and all of the people who had all kinds of illnesses and infirmities and everything were laying around this pool and uh, once a year, an angel came down and he troubled the waters. And then whoever got in the water first got healed. And, of course, everybody else had to wait till next year or something like that. And, you know, we saw how it, it developed itself. That that story and the inability for everybody to get in was a picture of the Old Testament strategy uh, through Israel that, that not everybody could get into what was going on. And uh, we saw this certain man here. He had an infirmity for 38 years. And I showed you how that that's a picture of the nation of Israel and how he was made whole when he met the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an incredible story, but yet it's one of the most incredible miracles found in all of the Bible. And as I said, Today, scholarship and, and pastors and, and teachers all discount the story. And they tell you that it should not be in your Bible. And we'll tie that in here in just a little bit. But I showed you all the key elements to lay this story out and how it points to Christ coming to the nation of Israel as this Messiah. And if they will accept him, just as this man in pictures the Old Testament couldn't get into the water by himself, Christ came and he's going to heal and make whole the whole nation of Israel at the second coming of Christ. And of course, the great chapter on that, as I've given you before, would be in Acts chapter 2. And you want to remember that all this story will unfold around the, the time of the year of the Passover. In fact, this is the second Passover, and I showed you how John is built around four Passovers. And this story here is built around the Passover, which takes us back to Exodus chapter 12, where the Passover started. The word Passover comes from Exodus chapter 12, when the nation of Israel was about to be taken out of Egypt. God told them that to put the blood on the door, and that when God saw the blood on the door, that he was going to take them out of Egypt, but he was going to kill the firstborn of everybody who didn't put the blood on the door. So the word Passover came from that, that when God passed over, 
Israel. He saw the blood on the door. Then, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he spared them, and then he led them out of the nation of Israel. Now, for them, that's a key point in their... In fact, their, their whole new year changes from that point. And as I said last week, the Passover then now forms their memorial day when God brought them out of the land. And at Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover, they had a sacrificial lamb. They had to kill a lamb, put the blood on the door. If you look at that lamb back there, it's a perfect picture of Christ. It had to be a male, had to be without spot. It had to be killed on the 14th day of the month. Everything lining up to Christ's crucifixion. So we see in that picture back there a picture of the coming Messiah that was going to deliver the nation of Israel. So in John chapter 1, 2, and 3, When John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, what does he say? He says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He made the connection all the way back to Exodus chapter 12. And, of course, uh, John preaching uh, is six months before uh, Jesus shows up. He is the forerunner to introduce the Lord Jesus to, um, to the people in the nation of Israel. But I gave you five key areas that... Uh, help you, give you understanding in this passage through your trained eye. We talked about in the sheep market, and we ran that back to Nehemiah chapter 3. We talked about the word Bethesda itself. It means mercy. Uh, This guy had an infirmity for 38 years. I told you about Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 14 that says that's how long Israel wandered in the wilderness. Uh, It talked about him being made whole. That's Acts chapter 2, where the nation of Israel gets made whole, and then it was on the Sabbath day, which is a picture of the coming of Christ, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, when the Lord comes back. You know, and I I told you again how that this story will illustrate, along with all the others in the Gospels, the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. And I can't emphasize that enough for those of you who study your Bible. If you just get that into your brain... Whenever you're starting to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find a lot of stories. You're going to find a lot of events. You're going to find a lot of things happening. And when you do, uh, you know that they're all a picture of Israel's spiritual condition at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we took it into the inspirational application, how it applies. Once we saw it applied to Israel, then I took some time to show you how it applies to you and to me. And all this will be a picture also of our time period right before the second coming of Christ, where it shows you Israel historically, it shows you Israel and their spiritual condition right at the first coming of Christ. It shows us our spiritual condition as God's church inspirationally right before the second coming of Christ. And, uh, it's a great it's a great aspect. And now we talked about the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter three, verses seventeen and eighteen, and the the complete breakdown of everything that's going on in Christianity today. And then you remember I took you over to First Corinthians chapter ten, and I clearly showed you how God will teach us about the things in the Old Testament through their examples and in samples. And we talked about that. The parallels between the nation of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, and the parallels between God's people, you and me in the New Testament, and how the situation on both sides of the cross 
are really the same, and they both get into the same mess. And I told you how 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that the things that happened to Israel right here, back in the Old Testament, everything that happened to them are for our admonition, that we might learn and understand what is really going on uh, around us today. And seeing that these issues will also be our issues. And the, the guy had four fundamental issues. He was impotent. That means he was powerless. He was blind. That means he has no spiritual insight. He, he, is, he was halt. That means that he had no walk and he was withered means that he had no work uh, for God. And that is exactly where we are at today uh, in the church. We're, we're, we're just a bunch of people laying around doing nothing for the Lord and just waiting for God to do something with us. And it doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way in the Old Testament, and it certainly won't work that way today. If there's one word that has to fit into Christianity today, it has to be the word proactive. You can't just get saved and then sit. You know, it's all right to standing. It's all right that we sing the song, Standing on the Promises. It's okay to stand on the promises, but you can't be sitting on the premises. You have to do something with it, and you have to get proactive. And if ever there was a time where other than Israel's time, that we needed the moving of the water, it's today. And in chapter 5, as I said, uh, we looked at it last week, this week, and then again next week, and maybe even beyond that, but there's three things here that we want to look at. We want to look at the miracles that God did to Israel. We did that last week. Today I want to show you the rejection of the nation of Israel, and I want to show you uh, the, the, the people that were involved in it, and then next week, I want to show you the real reason behind the rejection. And you'll find, again, just like that's true of the Old Testament, it's also true of Christianity and the New Testament today. So today, I want to add, basically, to last week. And uh, this is a really good chapter to show us, you know, the opposition, not only that Christ faced, back in his day, but it's the same opposition that you need to be aware of because we are all up against it again today. To me, I can't speak for you, but for me, chapters like this uh, are invaluable. So if I were you, here's what I would do today, because all I'm going to do is show you the associations back and forth and the comparison that brings us to an obvious logical conclusion of what was wrong at the first coming of Christ with God's people, but also what's wrong right before the second coming of Christ with you and me, God's people. So I want to read for you John chapter 5 and verses 10 through 16, and, uh, and then we'll make some comments. Here's what it says. The Jews therefore said unto him, <coughs> that was cured, this is the guy that got healed, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. You remember that once he got healed, Jesus said, pick up your bed and and head out of here. And he answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto thee, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed uh, was not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. 
And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Father, help us to get into your word today and glean from it all that you have for us. We love you. We thank you, Father, for the truth of the word of God and how it sets every crooked thing straight and that we can have the understanding to be able to understand you know, what you're doing in the times that we live in, that we can uh, benefit from it and be part of everything that God is doing. Now take this time, use it for your honor and glory, and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it, amen. Now this chapter is teaching a great truth, the truth that opposition to God's work here with Christ, but true of you and me too, it'll never just be from the world. You would think that would be true. There's enough the Bible talks about love not the world, neither the things that are in it, that the world's against God, the world against Christianity, and it certainly is. We are faced today, just like they were back then, we are faced with the, with the opposition of the world, and there's no question about that. But you will see that the real opposition that the devil throws at us will not come from the outside, but in most cases, from the inside. And this is so true with what you have here. We saw this back in Numbers chapter 3 and Numbers chapter 11. You remember when they came out and it was the people, it wasn't, I mean, Egypt gave them problems. They certainly did. But where did the real problems come from? It came from the mixed multitude that were with them that came out of Egypt that never really bought into what God was doing. And I'm going to tell you something. In every church, I don't care where you go, and I've been with them for a long, long time and dealt with them. In every church, you're going to find that there will always be people who are part of a mixed multitude who are not going to like or go along with what God is trying to do. I don't care. I don't care how many, in any given church, I've seen it. I don't care how many people that church gets saved. I don't care how many people they're discipling. I don't care what good things they're trying to do. And I don't care how the hand of God is in their midst that just keeps turning things over and people keep getting saved. You're going to find people that all they can see is through their own prism of their own failures. And they, 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 they have an attitude and a bitter spirit that uh, just like uh, you find it the first coming of Christ, that they, they did not care about the things of God and they were upset at the miracles that God did. Now, who would think, who would think that any Christian would be upset or be against any situation where many, many people were getting saved? It speaks to an inner problem that somebody has. And it speaks to the fact that they can't see the hand of God in doing anything. And in most cases, the reason why they cannot is because they have no hand of God in their own life. God isn't doing anything. And I have found this to be true. People, God's people, inside people, in any church who have nothing going with God. God is doing nothing. They have no ministry. They, they have no influence many times in their own families. And their life is just an upside-down salt and pepper shaker that somebody dumped all the salt and pepper out of. And they absolutely have no impact in anybody's life to do anything. They will always be adverse to somebody who God is using, whether it's you, whether it's a church, whether it's a pastor. It doesn't matter. The real opposition, and you have to see this from this chapter because many of you, most of you, 
are up to your eyeballs in ministry. And I'm going to tell you now that the real opposition won't come from just the outside. It'll come from the inside. Sometimes it comes from your own family. It's like this kid who's moving over here. I mean, and that's just the way that it works. And uh, you saw this all through. And you never want to forget, the devil, the devil will work through nations. He'll work through men. He'll work through kings. And he'll work through queens down through history. But his real influence, and here's what you never want to forget, the real influence and work of the devil will be in the world of Christianity, Bibles, and churches. We saw it in Genesis chapter 3 when he wanted to destroy mankind and put him into the lake of fire. When he shows up to Eve, it was, Yea, hath God said. But then he changed what God said, and that's how we operate. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 calls that spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, in military history, when they talk about spies, uh, they call them fifth columnists. And uh, I, I'll be honest with you, I never really understood the term. I've heard it all my life. I never really understood the term till I got into the Bible. And I saw that the greatest spy and the greatest saboteur and the greatest infiltrator uh, of Christianity was the devil, and he is the fifth cherub. So where a fifth columnist will infiltrate something to destroy it from within, the fifth cherub took the position of a fifth columnist and through the form of religion, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, became an angel of light. He's got his own church, he's got his own Bible, and he's got his own ministers right in the text that it tells you that. And so we, we, we see now that that's how he began to do his work. And in chapter 10 of verse 5, they completely ignore, they completely ignore of the miracles that they were told to look for that would identify the Messiah. The signs and wonders, every one of these religious leaders understood Exodus chapter 4 where God told Moses to put his hand in his bosom and he pulled it out, it was leprous, and then he put it back in and he pulled it out again and it was clean and God told them there, and every one of these guys knew this, he told them that by signs and wonders God was going to reveal himself to the nation of Israel. So when Jesus Christ shows up, he shows up doing miracles, healing people, doing signs and wonders, and they reject it. You know why they reject him? Because the fifth columnist had infiltrated in and destroyed everything that God was doing. They should have known what this represented and how that Christ was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. They should have seen how it fit into Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Hey, the Old Testament people, common ordinary people, forget the leaders, the common ordinary people, leaders too, they knew their Bible in the Old Testament inside out, upside down, every word of it. It was part of their culture. It was like you and me learning our ABCs. It was like you and me learning to speak English. They were raised under the confines of the Old Testament scriptures. They knew everything about it. These guys knew. They, understood, they knew who he was. They had it right there in front of them. But unfortunately, by this time, the leaders of Israel have been fully infiltrated and compromised. 
from within. Now, I know, I know, I know that Rome has always been the enemy of Christianity. I get that, and I understand that the, at the first coming of Christ, Rome is in power. But I want to tell you this. You can forget Rome. The book of Matthew tells us completely that Christ was the Messiah. And in chapter by chapter, in chapter 1, these guys, they had this. They knew this. In chapter 1, he goes to genealogy, the right, right all the way back to, to David, the, the right genealogy. In chapter 2, he has the right birth that was prophesied. In chapter 4, it was prophesied that he would be tempted, and he was. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, he lays out the structural concept of, the, of his coming government. It's all in the Bible in the Old Testament. And lo and behold, in chapter 8 and 9, he proves who he is by Exodus chapter 4 by going and healing and raising the dead, doing what he did here in John chapter 5. And then what does he do in chapter 10? after he declared who he was biblically, laid it out that you could not miss who he was. Then he sent the 12 out, chapter 10, and they began to begin to preach the kingdom. And what happened in chapter 11, 12, and 13? They rejected him. They rejected him in chapter 11, chapter 12, and chapter 13. And this is where they make their official rejection. And now we find in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, what you have goofy charismatics talk about committing the unpardonable sin. And to them, the unpardonable sin is a sin that you can commit that God will never forgive you for. And, and so whatever charismatic idiot you're listening to, he'll make up whatever one he wants to fit into that slot. And of course, Matthew, uh, it, it was a written to the church. There is no unpardonable sin. And when you read the context, that's a terrible thing. But when you read the context, you'll find that the sin that they cannot be forgiven for is right there in the chapter where they see everything that God's Son is doing. And the Spirit of God is what's working through Him to do it. And then you know what they do? They equate the Spirit of God with the Spirit of the devil. And as long as they take that position, they can't ever get right. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible events that are taking place at the first coming of Christ. And, and just like back then, today, the fifth cherub, our fifth columnist, has infiltrated the New Testament church and with the same goal to destroy it and to weaken it. Both of God's programs to reach the world with His truth have now been completely compromised. Israel in the Old Testament, God had plans that they were going to reach the world with God's truth, but they got infiltrated. They got compromised, and it came to an end. And then we have the church age and the spiritual side of things. And God expected the church to do the exact same thing, but the church got compromised, all by our fifth columnist, the fifth cherub. You know, it was a side note. I like to read things in history and, and, and jot them down, and sometimes they don't make real sense when I do it, but later on they all come together. I got thinking about the fifth cherub and the fifth column, uh, the, you know, the fifth columnist that they use in, in the terminology. You know, 
Back around 187 in Alexandria, Egypt. Now, you know, history unfolds itself, and by the time we come around to 100 AD, 150, 180, the great think tank of the world was in Alexandria, Egypt. The library there was the largest in the world, and what they had done is they had compiled all the works of the Greeks. Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, uh, my favorite, Esophagus, some of his stuff is hard to swallow, but you, you, you follow along with it. And they had amassed all of this stuff in Alexandria. Now, what happened is this, that the men down there claimed to be Christian. They were no more Christian than the devil was. But one guy in particular, his name was Origen. And Origen took the manuscripts that were the pure manuscripts that God had, and he got his hands on them, and he worked them over for a number of years and changed it in over 60, 70, 80,000 places by his own philosophical thinking that he disagreed with God in the Bible. Many, 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 many things. But what he did was this. Now, if you would get into the Christian world today, and you probably have heard this word, maybe you don't understand what it is, but sooner or later you get the word floating around called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was a Greek New Testament that supposedly Christ used when he showed up at the first coming of Christ. And, you know, just to make a long story short, that's about as bogus as a note to Santa Claus from Martin Luther King in 4004 B.C. I mean, there was no Septuagint, legitimate Septuagint. But here's the kicker. When Origen, he put together what was called a hexplaxa. A hexplaxa was a, with a six Six, hex, hex, black, so six column Bible. One, each one was in a different language. He inserted the Septuagint into that, and guess what? The Septuagint was his fifth column. You just don't beat the Bible. And today, Bible colleges, Bible scholars, probably most of the idiot stick pastors out there, they would swear by the Septuagint. The Septuagint, you know, I mean, when you just look at its origin, how, how, how ridiculously stupid it, it would be that it ever was anything uh, that was ever credible with God. And it wasn't. But it comes out of that Alexandria, Egypt mindset of destroying the Word of God by the fifth chair of the fifth column. So Origen just puts it in his plaxa in the fifth column. Incredible stuff. If you're paying attention. Learning the lessons of history. Getting understanding. We talked about this Thursday night. Learning the lessons of history. Now watch. Just be with me here. I just want to, I'm not really going to preach to you today, but you got to see this. You got to see why they are rejecting Christ. What was behind it? Because whatever was behind that is behind what we have today. So just stay with me for a few minutes and watch how what's really going on in John chapter 5. Now, we know that Israel comes out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. She goes through a number of years, and then in 606 B.C., because she has completely compromised herself, she's thrown the Word of God out, God out. She has completely restructured everything that God gave her, and now God sends her into the captivity uh, of 606 B.C., the southern tribes go in in 606. The northern tribes go with Shennacherib around, no, I don't know, 721. But Israel ceases to exist. 
And the reason for it is because the reason Israel ceases to exist because within Israel, God ceased to exist. They had completely corrupted themselves. And as I have shown you before, God now will, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, God now will hide himself from the nation of Israel. You find this all through the Bible. If you were going to study history from the, uh, the books in this period of time, this would be called the 400 silent years. It's a little more than 400 years, but that's what they call it. The 400 silent years. And for the next 400 years after they go into captivity, God gives no revelations to man. Everything a Jew got, everything that they went, had was already written. God didn't give them one more thing until he shows up with his son 400 years later at the first coming of Christ. Now, I'll just throw this out to you. This, in this 400 years is when the Septuagint is supposed to be written. And it was there that Christ could use it. God gave nothing in those 400 years. But that's another message. No revelation from God. He allows them, Israel as a nation, to go their own way. And they will be for us the foolish man that we read about in the book of Proverbs who forsakes everything that God does for him. And now, when you learn the lessons of history, one of the great things that you will learn, and boy, you can never forget this in your Bible study, and it's the fact that history will always repeat itself. History is a revolving door. History is a beginning, and it, it just repeats itself constantly. And when you see how that in 400 silent years, you see in 400 silent years, you'll find that God did nothing for, for, for man. And during that period of time, you will find that the devil went to work. This is where now, if you know Daniel chapter 2, he brings in the Greek empire, who literally changed the world from a godless standpoint of thinking. They took everything, and the great philosophers that we talk about today started right there. The Greek empire impacted the world to such a degree that even when you go to college today and you get into a fraternity or a fertility or whatever they're called, probably more fertility, but when you get into one of those, one of those fraternity for guys, sorority for the girls, got it. You know what they use as symbols? Greek letters. Why? Because the Greeks are always associated with learning. <laughs> if you watch Animal House, there isn't much learning goes on in those things, but that's okay. It's a great movie. Uh, but I'm telling you, but this is, they were noted. They changed the world as far as the language. Their language became universal. Their thinking became universal, and it impacted the rest of the nations even to this day. Incredible. And, of course, uh, then you find the Romans come in. And the Romans come in, and where the Greeks refashioned the world from intellectually, the Rome, the devil used Rome to refashion the world by nations. And Rome conquered just about all of the known world at that particular time. And during that period of time, that 400 years, you'll find that the devil does his work. He does everything that he can through these nations to destroy anything remaining of God. The nation of Israel gets scattered all through the world. 
You know, people talk about speaking in tongues, you know, and what a thing that is, but they don't have any idea. The only reason that God had tongues being spoken in Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, and those places there is because those Jews for 400 years had been scattered throughout the world and they no longer spoke their own language, but God had a message to bring them back to Him. So it had to use tongues in their own language to get the message. It had nothing to do with Christianity or you and me or, you know, fee fi fo fum and all that stuff. It had nothing to do with that. But people don't know because they don't have any understanding. For that 400 years, the devil infiltrated everything. He wanted to make sure that when Christ showed up at the first coming of Christ, there was no way nobody was going to accept him. It was a plan. Now, that's the second 400 years. The first 400 years, you find, is at the end of Genesis. Remember that story? The story of Joseph and Exodus chapter 50. They all wind up down in Egypt. Guess how long they're in Egypt? 400-some years. Same time period. Now, what does they do? God is forging them in Egypt. I know they're going through slavery. They're going through hard times. But God is making them strong because he's going to bring them out. What do you think the devil did during those 400 years? Do you think he was just playing, said, oh, we can take a break. They're down in Egypt. Let's just go do something. No. He, he knew. He knew that they were going to head to the promised land. He knew that that land was once his, and now God was going to give it to his nation. So what did he do? For 400 years, he fortified that, that land with giants, with pagan nations all to keep the nation of Israel out. You can't escape history repeating itself. In Genesis chapter 50, when they're down in Egypt for 400 and some years, the devil is building into the promised land to keep them out. When they go into the captivity, God knows 400 years later, the first coming of Christ is going to come to his people. The devil does the same thing. And in both cases, he's trying to keep, get this, He's trying to keep the plan of God from going forward by infiltration, by imitating. And it's, it's one of the incredible things that you'll see. And, uh, you know, this 400, final, this 400 years is the final destruction of Israel in 606 B.C. So that when the first coming shows up and Christ comes as the Messiah... The devil has had 4,000 years, excuse me, 400 years to destroy any relevance of God coming to them. Now watch this. Here starts what we have in our text today. The Jews wanting to kill him, and ultimately they do. But stay with me now. The structure of the nation of Israel, when God put it in play, it had two legitimate operating formats. You had the priesthood. The priesthood took care of the sacrifices. They took care of the tabernacle. They did all that work. Then you had the scribes. The scribes' job was they were the custodians of the Word of God. The Old Testament was written by the scribes. They kept it. They made sure that there was no error got into it. But now, during this 400 years, 
because they have given up the Word of God. We've seen this in Isaiah 59, 14, Isaiah 10, 1, Amos 8, 11, Hosea 4, 1 and 2. We've seen it all through the Old Testament. Our fifth, fifth columnist, the fifth cherub, has infiltrated Israel and brought now, during this 400 years, two other groups to be part of Israel that God never intended to be there. One of them is the Pharisees. The other one is the Sadducees. The Pharisees come into being about 135, 135 years before Christ. The Sadducees come in about 167, 167 years before Christ. In both cases, they were never ordained by God as a legitimate part, and the devil brought these two groups in to destroy the nation of Israel. Both are non-biblical groups who the devil uses as his tools to destroy the first coming of Christ. Now, along with this, the priesthood, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 3, which was legitimate, totally corrupted. Totally corrupted. The scribes are been totally compromised. And now we see, you talk about the devil putting it all in place. The Pharisees come in at 135, the Sadducees come in at 167, and guess what happens in 100 AD or BC? Rome now comes to power. All three pieces of the devil's tools are ready to go to make sure that Israel takes the position that they take in John chapter 5 of wanting to persecute him and then wanting to slay him. They both, Sadducees to Pharisees, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's clear there, they make a political alliance with Rome. And it's kind of like they become tools of Satan. And um, they become tools of Satan to keep Israel from getting the Messiah. Now, this is why in the Gospels, and in particular John chapter 5, we see the leaders, the Jews, rejecting him, rejecting his word, and rejecting the miracles And now they want to kill him. When those things they knew were what you needed to look for to find the truth. Let me tell you something. If you don't think the devil won't infiltrate to destroy, you don't know very much about life or history or the Bible. He'll infiltrate your life by putting the wrong people in your world to destroy whatever God wants to do with you. He'll infiltrate a church. He'll put the people in that church that are satanic implants. And, of course, that's what he does. Now, look at verse 16 of John chapter 5, and here's what they said. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. What a trumped-up charge. Well, fact, when you go back and look when he's crucified, every charge they had against him was a trumped-up charge. But you know who put those trumped-up charges together? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the priesthood. After one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, they do exactly what modern-day scribes and Sadducees and Pharisees do. They ignore the truth of the Scriptures, and they want to get rid of it. So back then, they wanted to get rid of him. Today, they want to tell you that that shouldn't be in your Bible. Same crowd. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Now, if you, have, would have, if you would have had of, uh, uh, been uh, what was written in the Old Testament Scriptures, uh, they never would have rejected it, but they didn't believe it. 
You know, here again, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5, a great verse that we used last Thursday night, uh, the word understanding in all things. They would have. Uh, but they know now that they, they would have known that the reason why it was okay for him to heal on the Sabbath day, they'd have known what it was a picture of, and they would have known in Mark chapter 2, verse 28, that he's the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't given for him to keep. He's the Lord of that Sabbath. It was given for them to keep. Why? Because it, what it represented to them, his coming kingdom. They should have known that. They should have known that. Why? When I go back there to Matthew chapter 2, when Rome is trying to kill him, and I guarantee you the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, they're, they're sweating bullets, man. Uh, and, and, but what happens? What happens? What happens in Matthew chapter 2? Some wise men from the east come to right where he is and bring him gifts. Did you ever see the gifts they bring him? They bring him three gifts. That, you know, has led people to believe that there were just three wise men. That, you know, that's not necessarily true. They may have done what we all do for weddings and things. They may have pooled their money and just bought three gifts. But the bottom line is what those gifts represent. One of them represented the fact that he was a priest, Christ. One represented the fact that he was a prophet. One represented the fact that he was a king. The three offices that he holds. How did they know that? Now, they're from the east. That's out Babylon way. You know what was written out in the east back then? Daniel. You know, if you had the book of Daniel and you believed it back then, you could find where, and, and, and along with the rest of the Old Testament, and you believed it, you could find where he was going to be born, when he was going to be born. You would know everything you could think. That's why these guys, you think they were just traveling along and they saw the billboard, come and see the great extravaganza, the place where Christ is born? They knew from the Old Testament scriptures that they believed exactly when, where, and where to go to see him and what he represented. Why? Because they had the book. They believed it. So don't give me this that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't know. They knew exactly who he was. They knew exactly what he represented, and they knew exactly what he was coming to do. The fifth columnist, the fifth cherub, had infiltrated the last 400 years just like he did in the first 400 years to stop them that when Christ showed up, Israel was in a place that would reject him. Oh, it's incredible, folks. It's It's not hard. It's just understanding what you have in front of you, being able to see it and lay it out, how that history always repeats itself. And, you know, this is one of the single greatest unknown truths today, how that Israel got into the mess they got into in John 5 because after one of the greatest miracles that pointed to everything, they're already in rejection mode. Now, let's learn some more lessons of history, like 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells. Now, let's jump for just a moment right up into our time period, right before the second coming of Christ, where we live today, 2020. It's amazing that the best eyesight you can, should have is 2020, and we're living in 2021, and we missed 2020 and didn't see a thing. I got a message on that I'll preach to you sometime. I told you that history repeated itself two times, 400 years from Genesis chapter 50 to Exodus chapter 12. Then there's 400 years or so from 
from 606 B.C. to the first coming of Christ. Ah, now our 400 years will be the third time history repeats itself, and it'll be 400 years from when the King James Bible comes out right up to the point of the second coming of Christ. We celebrated the anniversary of the King James Bible in 2011, 400 years. Of course, there's always overlap with these things. But it's the same thing. That 400 years from 606 B.C. to the first coming of Christ, God revealed nothing other than what was already written. And in our 400 years from the King James Bible coming out to the time we have, God reveals nothing outside of that book. That's all you get. I had a guy tell me one time, well, I'm a prophet. I see things. And I said, yeah, especially when you smoke that stuff, you see all kinds of stuff. There are no prophets today. There are no people who see dreams and visions. And uh, a guy one time said, I speak in tongues. And I said, well, okay, that's good. He says, uh, he says, yes, I get revelations from God. Here's what I told him. I said, if you get a revelation from God that's not in the Bible, I care nothing about it. And if you spit out a revelation from God that's already in the Bible, well, what I need you for? You see, it doesn't work. And it's a thing where we had our own, we have now our part of our own 400-year time period. Now watch this. And during our 400 years, like the Old Testament captivity 400 years where there's no revelation of man outside that God put in the book, all the Jews had from 606 to the first coming of Christ is what God had written them in the Old Testament. And all you have from the time the King James Bible gets formalized and comes out and God gives it to the world, all you have is what he wrote in the Old Testament and the New Testament now that it's complete and perfect. That's the only revelation you're going to get. And again, our fifth columnist never misses a trick. He infiltrates the church just like he did with the nation of Israel. And again, he develops two non-biblical groups for us, just like he developed two non-biblical groups, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, for Israel. Now, learn the lessons of history. In your Bible, you'll find this to be true, that when God set the church up, he put in two offices in the church, only two. The first offices is talked about, well, both of them are really talked about in, uh, in the book of uh, Acts, and you find them again in First and Second Timothy. The first office that he put into play was the office of a pastor, sometimes called a bishop in the Bible. And a pastor is the guy who God takes and he, runs, he leads the church through God's leading of him. The second office that you have is the office of a deacon. You'll find that they first come into play in the early book of Acts, and then they're talked about in First and Second Timothy. Those are the only two offices of the church. Now, I just everything that God does, He's going to do through those two offices. The third thing that God set up was the structure of the New Testament local church. Now, I, I don't care how screwed up the church is today, and there's plenty of them out there screwed up. That has nothing to do with the fact that, uh, that uh, God's true program in the church age went through a New Testament local church. And you're going to find in the book of Acts, when everybody got saved, they did, they did a couple of things. First of all, uh, they got baptized. And second of all, they joined the New Testament local church. Third thing they did is they got involved in ministry. And that's the standard process. All this stuff today about all these Christian organizations out there, I'm not saying they're not good. I'm not saying, I'm saying God's program is only a New Testament local church. That's God's program. And the only two identities in that that it all flows through is the pastor and the deacons. We have deacons in our church. We have pastors in our church. I'm not the only pastor. 
We have other guys that are ordained to be pastors here. We have guys who are ordained to be deacons here. And it's a thing where, it's you know, that's the structure. That's the way it works. And for us, what the devil did is he infiltrated the church today with a couple of non-biblical structural systems that never were put in the Bible. The first one is scholarship. You know what you do when you go to Bible college? And I know people don't like this, but that's all right. I don't care. You need to get a grip. You know what people do? Well, you know what happens when you go to Bible college? They teach you a whole system of terms. They'll teach you uh, stodiontology. They'll teach you uh, angiology. They'll teach you uh, um, hemorrhoid nudics. <laughs> Something like that. They'll te- in other words, you'll learn a whole system of terms that nobody ever talked about in the Bible. You ever heard Jesus use those terms? Why do you got to take and invent a language and a terminology that nobody in the Bible ever used? Why? Because you want to exalt yourself. You know what's called in Revelation chapter 2? Doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Putting yourself over the common person. Why do you got to talk like somebody so you want to impress somebody? Did Jesus ever do that? When Jesus talked to a man about his soul, did he say, well, I'd like to talk to you about eschatology. I'd like to talk to you about sodiontology. I'd like to talk to you. I'm going to, now today we're going to feeding in a 5,000. I'm going to give you some hemorrhoid nudics. No. Now, why do people, why, do, why are people so impressed with something like that when you couldn't, I'll give you a million dollars, you show me one of those terms in the Bible. And you say, oh, that's talking big. You don't have that much money. I'd get it together for you. Find it. It isn't there. So the first thing he infiltrates in is scholarship. And scholarship exists for one purpose today. There's no scholars when it comes to the Bible. Are you kidding me? There's no experts when it comes to the Bible. Are you kidding me? We're all all students. We're all learning the Bible. It's a never-ending process. We may be on different levels, but we're just students of the Word of God. For a man to say, my scholastic scholarship of the Bible, well, you, I, I don't, you're nuts, man. Because you know what that leads to? That leads to you deciding where God made a mistake, like in John chapter 5 last week, and then you decided God made a mistake and shouldn't have put it in, so you'll fix it for him and take it out. God's going to fix some things for you one day. Amen. And it's a thing where that's the way it works, you see? And, uh, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a thing where we, 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 I tell you this all the time, we get on the Catholics because they worship dead saints. Well, Baptists worship live saints. And they think that because a man has an education or whatever and he's got a Ph.D. and a Doctor of Divinity degree that that makes him really spiritual. That doesn't make you anything. What makes you spiritual is you and that book. So we see that he did it that way. And then the second thing he did was the, was, the, was, the, was the Bible seminary movement, the Bible Bible college movement. You know, and again, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. These guys, could, if you, somebody says, well, I went to Bible college. Could, okay, fine. Could you show me the first Bible college in the Bible? Of course you couldn't. Of course you couldn't. The first Bible college, I'm not even going to tell you what book it's in. But the first Bible college in the book of Acts 
is found in Acts chapter 19. First place where you find a school for somebody teaching people the Bible. And you know what they're doing? They're teaching against what Paul's preaching. There you go. And why am I against Bible? I'm not against Bible colleges. I'm just pro-local church. It's our job. That's why we got a Bible institute that you don't come to. Uh, that's, that's why we do everything we can to give you. It's our job. It's the church's job. It's the church structure through a pastor and deacons. They don't farm that out to somebody, but just like Israel farmed it out to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you see. Why? Because the fifth columnist got in and he infiltrated it. Now, all this stuff, you know, I, I call these guys, you know, I, I call these, you know, I call these guys, if you go over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, it talks about that there's the faith, the true faith, and then the devil mixes in leaven. Remember that story? So I call these scholar guys and all this stuff who dump the Bible, I call them Satan's little hamburger helpers. You know what a hamburger helper is, don't you? You got real meat hamburger, and then you put the helper in it so it, it, you think it tastes better. And that's what these guys do. They just destroy the real meat. You don't need it. You don't need it at all. But this thing all happens around the turn of the century, you know, with the neo-evangelical and the new orthodoxy and the charismatic movement. They all, they all come into existence for one reason. They want to take the Bible out of your hand and tell you you can't understand it, so you've got to get an educated scholarship before you can really figure out the Bible. And if you don't, you're just an old West Virginia hillbilly that you need us to tell you what God's Word means. And that's where you're at today. And they do the damage of destroying the church and Christianity just like they did in the 400 years. History always repeats itself, taking the word of God from them. So when Christ showed up the first coming, they had no idea. And when he shows up the second coming any day now, God's people have no idea. So we see this man last week who is impotent. He's got no power. He's blind. He can't see anything. He's halt. He's withered. And that's Israel's spiritual condition at the first coming of Christ, but that's the body of Christ's condition at the second coming. Now, it's absolutely imperative. If you're going to go anywhere with God in the day and age that we live in and not get compromised, and I'm telling you right now, you don't need to worry about most of God's people who are really sincere and love the Lord. You don't have to worry about going back to the world. You got to worry about getting infiltrated from the inside. And the handwriting is in Daniel chapter 5, verses 5 through 12, is on the wall. And God's people today, through this fifth columnist, this fifth cherub, they have been disarmed. He took the greatest thing from you, the Word of God. And when he took the Word of God because they would tell you, like I told you last week, that John chapter 5, that story, shouldn't be in your Bible, that when Origen took the real, clear, clean manuscripts and altered them in, in over 60, 70,000 places, he didn't believe that Jesus Christ was really God, so he took all those verses out. He didn't believe he got saved by the blood, so he took all those verses out. And when he was done, he cut it down. There wasn't much left. But that's held up today as the great, 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 great teachings. And so once they disarmed God's people, 
Then they deceived God's people. Because now God's people thought this was truly Christianity. This is the way it should be. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I probably understand that. You know, the word understanding, we had a landmark Bible study last Thursday night. I don't think the word, I don't think we'll ever look at the word understanding the same way again. But I'm telling you right now, I understand that. I know human nature. I know me. And human nature is something we always got, we all got to get over. Because human nature likes the idea that you don't have to really study your Bible and get into that and be a workman, that you can let somebody else claim to be it and just read their little tidbits and get what they got. You don't have to do the work yourself. You've got to fight against that. Because fundamentally, we're all lazy. Fundamentally, we're all rotten. And fundamentally, we'll take the short stick of God every time we can, unless you change that about you. You've got to do the work. So once he, took, once he disarmed God's people, then it was easy to deceive God's people. And that's why you have people everywhere today believe in some of the goofiest stuff you ever saw in your life. And if you put an open Bible in front of them, they couldn't prove what they're trying to believe if a life depended on it. And because they lost, they got disarmed. When you get armed, you get deceived. You know what happens then? Once you get disarmed and once you get deceived, it's only a matter of time because you have no power in your life, you have no work in your life, you have God doing nothing in your life. It's only a matter of time you get discouraged. And this is where God's people are at today. They're in the most, God's people ought to be living on top of the mountain, especially in the time period we're living in. But they're not. They're the most discouraged, broken people you ever met in your life. Why? Because there's no power. God's not doing anything. They are just like the folks around that pool at Bethesda, just laying around with all their infirmities, hoping today be my day I can get in the water. Ain't going to happen. Once both Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament lost their Bible, then they lost the ability to understand anything about God. They lost the ability to discern anything that's going on around them. And then they get in this big fog, this big gray mush called Christianity where nothing is real. We all get along. We all want to do this. We all want to do that. And our modern-day Pharisees and Sadducees have again made an alliance with Rome just like they did at the first coming of Christ. Go look at the Catholic Evangelical Accord that I talked to you about a couple of weeks ago. So... Outside of salvation, the single greatest thing that you can ever put into your life will be, the, will be the word understanding. Getting to the place in your life, as the Bible says in Proverbs, you understand all things. And that only comes from your relationship in the Word of God. Understanding will be what God is doing in any given situation. It's our ability to look through the fog and the smoke screen that the devil's putting up that other people get lost in and, and, and lose their, you know, lose the, I, I, I like, I, I don't know, uh, I don't think they had it back in World War II, but I like the movies today about submarines. When they're going underwater and another submarine locks on with their torpedoes and fires them, and they got, I love this terminology, I love this kind of talk. The guy says, fire countermeasures! And out the back of the sub, you see this gooing goo gauze stuff, you know. And when the torpedoes go in it, they lose direction. And they just, they can't find their target. 
and they spin around, you know, and then they just get on their way. And they can't, once they get in that, it messes up their sensors and they can't they lose target acquisition and they can't hit the sub anymore. They just go on your merry way. I've watched that and I thought to myself, that's exactly what the devil did. We are God's torpedoes and God has launched us toward a target that he wants us to hit. You know what the devil did? He did countermeasures. So we are like those torpedoes. We're just going around in a fog and we never hit anything. I'm telling you. And it's a thing where, you know, outside of salvation, that is the greatest thing. Now, the greatest example I can give you this, and this is really, and this really doesn't have to do with John 5, but it's an example that shows you the illustration of understanding in John 5. And the greatest example of this today is, is the, of what's coming all around us, of the, of the UFOs. And, uh, you know, the background is, is so simple if you follow it at any time. You know, we have been lied to for the last... It's obvious now that we have been lied to for the last 70 years. I mean, it's all coming out. I had an original copy of the... You know, back in the 70s and the 80s, the Air Force put out a book called Project Blue Book. And it was a listing of all the UFO activity. That they I have a copy of, of, of Blue Book. And I read some of the stuff, and it was crazy. There was stuff... There was stuff that was undeniable. Hey, let me tell you. When you get four lights that are coming and they're zinging in and out of water towers and the Air Force investigates it and says it was Venus rising early. (laughs) You know when Venus starts zimming in and out of water towers, it's time to go home. I think all the way back in 1951, a P-51 pilot was chasing a, a UFO, and he's on the he got a radio. Man, Mantrell, or Mandrell was his name. And he's chasing this in a P-51 with not much chance of catching it. But he's chasing this thing up there, and he gets into the clouds, and he got radio contact with him, and then he goes dead. You know what? They found his plane scattered over 30 acres. You know what they said it was? Instrument malfunctions. And I'm telling you. We now know Roswell was true. I taught it 20 years ago. We now know that all these things now, why now? I mean, for 70 years you said we were nuts. Now suddenly we're not nuts anymore? You see, they want you to be nuts when they want you to be nuts. But why now? Why with everything going on around in the world and Netanyahu being booted out and now Israel going over the edge and what's going on in the world and what's going on around here? Oh, I got something for you. The best is coming. Just give me a second here. Now they're undeniably real. And you see... For a minute, forget the government and, and, and all that stuff. It's, it's fine. They do what they always do. But let me show you how understanding will work today. If you're a Bible believer, and this is also all down through history, but this is, this is very fresh to us today. Now, the other night, Thursday night, I talked about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And I talked about that any unsaved man and Christians can have knowledge and wisdom. You can know facts, knowledge. You can have wisdom. That's facts applied in anything. But you can't get understanding because understanding only comes from God. 
So you can have the first two, whether you're saved or you're lost, but you'll never put it all together of what God's doing until you get the book that has understanding. And that's why in the book of Proverbs you find understanding over and over and over again. But when you get into the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'll just give you this free, you get into the book of Ecclesiastes, which is now the world, you don't find a word understanding till the end chapter, and he's talking about something else. But in the book itself, where he goes through all the ologies of man, socialism, pragmatism, all of them, fascism, humanism, liberalism, communism, democracy, all of those, no understanding. Because understanding can only be found in the book of Proverbs, see? You don't have to pay for that. I won't charge you for it. You can just have that. But you start to look at those things, you know, and you, understanding has to come from God. So these guys and everybody around it, you know, you got these F-16 pilots and these guys are chasing these things and they get, they get facts or they get knowledge. They're there. They see them on a the radar screen. They get wisdom. They're doing left-hand turns that pull 100 Gs that no plane can do. They're going five times sound the speed of sound. That nobody, no plane on earth. They got the facts and they got the wisdom. They just don't know how to put it all together because they have no understanding. Now, I'm, I am the smartest guy in the world. In fact, I, my claim to fame is I was the dumbest, smartest one in the slow class. But having said that, it's easy to see. Nobody can or will trace these guys that's going on around us back to Genesis chapter 6. I mean, and your scribes and your fair, if you, if you took Genesis chapter 6 with the sons of God coming down and everything that happened, and then you add to that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall be in the coming of the Son of Man. There were giants in the earth back then, and it's going to be the same way before it comes. If you could make those connections, you would understand completely what you got. But they can't. You know why? They don't believe the book. You know what the Bible scholars tell you? They tell you that the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 were saved people marrying unsaved people. That's what they get out of it. And, of course, when you know your Bible, you know it's something different. And when you do, and you can apply the Scriptures to the time that we're living in, you have understanding. The complete picture of what God is doing from start to finish. But your scribes, your Pharisees, your Sadducees, and your Pharisees told you now for 130 years, you can't believe that. Now, that's an example of how understanding works. You see something going on around you, and you know that God, this is God's program, and then you see that history repeats itself. I gave you three times today. And then he tells you, as it was in the days of Noah, so it's going to be in the coming of the Son of Man. Go back and look what happened in Noah. Learn from history. But you'll never get that from the modern-day scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. And all this ties into Rome. All this is part of the, the infiltration, the disinformation of the fifth columnist. Just like he did with Israel and their 400 silent years, he's doing it today in our 400 silent years. And for the devil, the goal today is the same goal as back in John chapter 5. He wants to persecute the Lord Jesus Christ and destroy it and get rid of him today like he got rid of him back there. In John, John chapter 5 and the rest of the book of John, they got rid of him by crucifying him, didn't they? Well, he's already dead and crucified and rose again, so they can't crucify him again. But John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the way they're going to kill him in our 400 years is get rid of him in the book. Same system. 
clearly rejecting the clear biblical teachings. Hang on to your hats, folks. The giants are coming. I got a video this week of a publication that in Europe they're building 100-foot statue giants. It's being put out that in 2021 they're going to be in 21 cities. They're 100 feet tall. And yet they say that there's nothing like it on planet Earth and they're saying this is an introduction to the giants. It's right there. A hundred feet tall. And if you went in, and what it's designed to do, it's a kind of like a hologram. You can project on its face and its body all your superheroes. Genesis chapter 6. And if you want to be portrayed on it, you go in this little booth and the hologram puts your image on that hundred foot image and they say, become one with the giant. Now why now? I, I don't think that ride will show up at Worlds of Fun. <laughs> it's a statue. It's an image. Daniel chapter 2. That's a hologram that will protect the sons of God on it. It moves its arms. It moves its head. It will speak to you. And the big billboard is... Awaken the giant that is within you. We'll be put in 21 cities in 2021. And it says, people of the world, welcome to the giants. Now, do you think that's just a coinky-dinky? I am telling you, folks, I don't know where your head is at, but you better get it up and eyes open and ears up, pal, because this thing is moving faster, oh, my favorite expression, than a hunger giant coming home for lunch. And it's going to be all over this place. You see, the only question we have to answer, which I don't really know the answer because there's not all the pieces to put it together, how much are we going to be involved in this as the body of Christ? But it's right there at the door. And now they're telling you they're building giants to introduce you to giants that you can put your superheroes on, their fixture, their pacer. You can go in and become one with a giant. Now, if that shows up at Union Station, I will not be taking a group down there. <laughs> but that's where we're at. Understanding. Realizing that they wanted to get rid of Jesus Christ at the first coming of Christ because the devil wanted his kingdom. And now, in our 400 silent years, the devil is destroying everything that we're trying to do because he wants to get rid of us, get rid of the Bible and everything with it. Now, here's the scary part, or the good part, depends on how you look at it. The goal today is the same goal that back in John chapter 5. The people 
rejected him, so they persecuted him. And today, since he's not here, but he's inside of you, they'll persecute you. So today, if the rapture doesn't come soon, and I don't know, it, it, it's, the gig's up on it. My, it, it. It's causing you to rethink the whole position because things are moving so fast and things are changing beyond belief of anybody who could even believe it would happen the way that it's happening. So if the rapture doesn't come soon, they can't kill him. They can't persecute him. But if he's inside of you, brother, we may become the target. And I am just telling you, if you think, if you think this world is going to be any friend to Christianity, with the way it's going, no more than it was at the first coming of Christ. But here's the real danger. You see, this is why the Bible says in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that you have mothers turning against sons, fathers against children, sons against their parents, because it's the infiltration. And if there ever was a time when a Bible-believing church, no matter where they should be, should be tight together and hold together, it's the day and age that we're living in because I am telling you quickly, I'm telling you right now, friends, there's coming a time when all we're going to have is each other. And I realize that this probably cut this, you know, probably cut this church down to 40, 50 people when things start popping. But that's okay. God always got the job done with a remnant. And I am just telling you, it's everywhere. So when you see John chapter 5, and today I want you to understand, I want you to understand that in the first message, he did a great miracle, but now they reject it. And now you can see how the devil's plan, the fifth cherub, the fifth colonist, was to infiltrate everything that he did and how history repeated itself in Genesis 50, 606 B.C., and 1611. And it's repeating itself again from Genesis 6 to where we're at today. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. And if you don't have understanding, if you don't see it, if you don't, you'll never be prepared for it. And that's why, you know, we're living in the days that we're living in and God's people need to be paying attention of where we're at because it's, it's, it's not going to get any better. Well, I'll hold up there. Next week we're going to get in there. I'm going to show you why. Show you the reason behind it. And we'll get this thing from history parallels and when you're done with John chapter 5, you'll have a good understanding of it as it goes from there. Now make sure, as I said earlier, sign up for the Sign up for the uh, Branson deal if you're going to go because we've got to get those blocks of rooms. The, 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 uh, the, the thing is still on for, uh, for uh, we'll find out more.